Merry Christmas journey. For those of you who are brand new, my name's Christian. I'm one of the pastors here. We're so glad that you are with us. And to those of you watching online with us, Merry Christmas. I found out yesterday we had our first two of eight Christmas services. And I found out that we have a family in the Dominican Republic that watches our church every week. And they had a house party. They had five families over to celebrate Christmas Eve with Journey Church International from the Dominican Republic yesterday. So wherever you are in the world, welcome to our house and Lee Summit today. We're glad that you're with us. You know, on Tuesday, we're going to wake up and be a part of this kind of global madness that is the holiday of Christmas. This year alone in America, 700, nearly $750 billion will be spent on Christmas. I want you to think about that. Nearly three quarters of a trillion dollars are spent in the United States of America in 2018 on Christmas. You need to look at somebody next to you and say, you probably spent too much. Just go ahead right now. Just tell them you, you probably spent too much this Christmas. And here's the deal. If, if you're like me, you did because I love Christmas. At our staff Christmas party this year, we were asked who, uh, who in a Christmas movie would describe how you see Christmas. And for me, it was a mixture of Clark Griswold and Buddy the Elf. Like if you can picture Chevy Chase in yellow tights, that's me. I love Christmas. And I actually believe Christmas is worth more than a quarter trillion dollars. I believe that doesn't even touch it, but not the holiday of Christmas, the history of Christmas, the real reason that we celebrate Christmas, a baby named Jesus. I want to take you back to the first Christmas today, actually before the first Christmas, about 600 years before the first Christmas. And I want to introduce you to somebody named Isaiah, because if you're not a churched person, if you don't consider yourself religious and you've heard the story about the biblical Christmas, it seems kind of far-fetched that some girl who wasn't married, who'd never slept with someone would get pregnant and have a baby who would, who would be God, um, stepping out of heaven. That story seems kind of far-fetched and really it is. But one of the things that makes it more believable is that somebody said it was going to happen 600 years before it happened, and he detailed it exactly. His name was Isaiah, and he was a prophet in Israel. At the time, up to about 50 years ago, the oldest copy of the book of Isaiah was written 800 years after Jesus was born. So here's what skeptics said. The, the prophet Isaiah so clearly depicts what happened at Christmas that it had to be written after Jesus was born because nobody 600 years before an event happened could peg it like that clearly unless, like God, unless God really intended it to happen. So probably Isaiah was written after Jesus was born. And then in the 1940s, they stumbled around in a cave in the Dead Sea region of Israel and they found more than a hundred copies of Isaiah, all that had been written more than a hundred years before Jesus was born. And they literally said Jesus would come exactly like he came to where he came, when he came, and he would do what he did. So there's great credibility, great historical credibility in the Christmas story from Isaiah. Now, I always like to know who someone is before I listen to what they say. So let me talk to you a little bit about who Isaiah was. Many people think Isaiah was part of the royal family. Like he, he was part of the royal family in Israel because he spent a lot of time in the palace. He had a lot of access to Israel's kings, but he was a deeply religious man. His role was spiritual in Israel. He spent a lot of time with the priest. He spent a lot of time at the temple. He understood the worship of God. And here's his story over a period of more than 50 years. He saw Israel go from one of the greatest powers in the Middle East to almost being conquered. Over a period of more than 50 years, he saw the economic collapse of Israel. 
the spiritual collapse of Israel, the military collapse of Israel. And he wrote a book about it all happening that we have in 66 chapters in our Old Testament as the book of Isaiah. However, even though he lived and prophesied in a time of despair, Isaiah was seen as a prophet of hope. Like church history looks at Isaiah and they say he was the prophet of hope. You say, how can a prophet of hope oversee a country that kind of falls apart? Isaiah's message was twofold. Here was the first part of it. Things are bad and they're going to get worse. That doesn't sound much like hope, but that was the first part of Isaiah's message to the people of Israel 2,600 years ago. Things are bad and they're going to get worse. Here was the good part. Things are bad and they're going to get worse, but a child is going to come who's going to change everything. A child is going to be born in Israel, and he is going to be the savior, not just of our country, but of the entire world. So when this child is born, take note of it and celebrate his key prophecy about this child is found in his ninth, in the ninth chapter of his book. And I want to read three verses to you from that chapter. It'll be on the screens behind me, on the television screen to my side. Here's what Isaiah said about this child. The country was going from bad to worse, but a baby was going to come who would change everything. Here's what he said. He said, nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who were in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun, In the land of Naphtali, Israel was divided into tribes instead of states. This was the northern two states of their country. This was Minnesota and Wisconsin. If you can picture Israel in your mind, the northern two states of Israel, Naphtali and Zebulun. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the future, he will honor Galilee of the nations by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light, and on those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. And here's what he says in verse 6. For to us, a child is born. And to us, a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace. In just a few moments, we'll close our service by inviting you as families, if you'd like to, to come receive communion together. If you're a Christian and you would be comfortable doing that, we would love to invite you to come and receive communion. If not, you can just stay where you are and wait for your family to get back to you in that moment. But before we do that, I want to make sure that those of you in here who need the prophecy of Isaiah receive the prophecy of Isaiah because there's two groups of people that Isaiah is speaking to and maybe you're in one of those groups. The first group are people who would say 2018 for me has been kind of a dark year. 2018 for me has been kind of a difficult year. Maybe 2018 for you is a year of deep darkness. If it is, Christmas is for you. There's hope for you even in a year of deep darkness and distress. And the second group are those who are hurting. Maybe you are limping to the finish line of this calendar year. Maybe this is the year that your marriage didn't make it or it began to crumble. Maybe this is the year you got laid off and you had to take that job that you didn't want to work. Maybe this is the first Christmas you're celebrating Christmas without a member of your family who was here last year at Christmas and you were hurting deeply. If that's you, Isaiah's prophecy is for you because he said there's healing in who Jesus is. If you're here and you need light because you're in a dark place, Isaiah's prophecy is for you. If you're here and you need strength because you feel weak at the end of this year, this prophecy is for you. And if you're in those two groups, here's what I want to do. I want to pray for you just briefly. 
And then I want to tell you how through Jesus, maybe you can receive what you need this Christmas. Let me pray for you. God, I pray for the people in the room, for those watching online who would describe 2018 as a year of of darkness, maybe as a year of deep darkness. It's been really hard. God, would you comfort them just by being in church today? Would you let them know 2019 could be better, that it'll get better? And God, I pray for those who are here and they feel weak. This year has just, to even get to this point, it's just sucked all the energy, mental, physical, relational, and emotional out of them. And they would as much prefer taking a nap right now as listening to a sermon from the Bible. Lord, strengthen them in their time at our church today and let this Christmas, because of Jesus, be a time that brings them strength. Lord, strengthen those who feel weak. Bring a light to those in darkness through Jesus this Christmas. We love you and we ask these things in Jesus' name and everyone said, amen. So Christmas is two things. According to Isaiah, number one, here's what we learn about this child named Jesus. We learn that Jesus came at Christmas to bring hope to the hopeless. Jesus came at Christmas to bring hope to the hopeless. If, if there was a sliding scale and hope was on one end and hopeless was on the other, where would you be kind of living in the middle of that realm today? Hope on one end, hopeless in the other. Which end are you swinging towards? You know, there were two events that really captured the world's attention in 2018. They happened about a month apart. Um, the first isn't very important, but, it, but most are very aware. There was a royal wedding. Princess Diana's youngest son, his name's Harry, married an American actress named Meghan Markle, and it was a pretty big deal. Hundreds of millions of people around the globe watched this royal wedding. A month later, the whole world tuned in again, but to watch a much different thing because 12 boys and their soccer coach in Thailand got stuck in a cave after a monsoon rainstorm. Here's these boys on the morning of June 23rd. They were out on a bike ride. They were going to go celebrate one of their friend's birthdays by exploring deep in the caves of the mountainous region of Thailand. They had a few snacks with them. They had a couple bottles of water. They had a few flashlights. Rain was in the forecast, but it wasn't yet monsoon season, so they thought they would be safe. They left their bikes at the entrance to the cave. About a half mile further, they left their shoes at the kind of the halfway point and they kept going deeper. And as they were exploring, the heavens opened and a monsoon rainstorm came. And when the kids did not come home at the end of the night, you can imagine how freaked out their parents were. They went to the mouth of the cave. They found their their bikes. They went a little further in and they found their shoes, but they did not find the boys. An international rescue effort kind of jumped into place. More than 10,000 people were involved in trying to rescue and find these boys. More than 2,000 military personnel from armies across the world were involved in trying to find these boys. More than 200 trained Navy SEAL divers from navies around the world were, were deployed to try to find these kids. And when day one became day three, and day three became day five, and day five became day seven, eventually the search and rescue effort turned into a search and recovery effort. They just knew these boys could not be alive in this cave that was filled with so much water. And on day 10, as two British divers were hanging a dive cable from the mouth of the cave as far deep as they had to go to find them, these two divers popped up in a little shallow bay of one of the caves and they showed the world a picture that they'd been waiting to see on their foggy camera deep within the recesses of a mountain where the 12 boys and their soccer coach, all of them alive, perched up on a little cliff. They were dehydrated. They were starving. All of them nearly had hypothermia, but there they were and they were alive. So they had to figure out how to get them out. And this would not be an easy task. 
they mapped the mountain, and after mapping the mountain and looking at it, they thought, we don't know if we're going to be able to rescue the boys for up to four months. The initial prognosis was, we're going to have to figure out how to get them food, and they're going to have to live there for four months because there's no way to get them out of the cave. They'd gone into the cave for about a half a mile, and when it started to rain, the cave began to fill up with water, and none of the boys knew how to swim. And instead of running to safety... They just ran deeper into the darkness of the cave. They ended up two and a half miles from the entry, blocked by more than a mile of water that was more than 30 feet deep, floor to ceiling in this cave. And really, they had no way to rescue them until the American Air Force showed up. And the American Air Force had two things that no one else had that they said would maybe help in getting these boys out. One, they had scuba masks that would cover the boys' faces entirely so they wouldn't have to learn how to breathe. They just have to fit on the helmet and tie it as tight as they possibly could. And they had a bodyboard that would operate either under the water or over the water. And they began to put together a plan to get them out. Before I show you how that worked, let me ask you where in this cave system you are today. Because perhaps, let's say you started 2018 here. When the hurt of 2018 happened in your life, did you run to the rescue of Jesus or did you run further into the darkness? When you realized your marriage was maybe not what you wanted it to be, did you run to Jesus or did you run further away? When the diagnosis was a miscarriage, did you run to Jesus or did you run further into the resources, recesses of the cave? When the market crashed and you lost years of your retirement, did you run to rescue or did you run deeper in the cave? When the diagnosis came back and it was not good for you or a family member. Did you run to rescue or did you run deeper into the cave? Because all of us in here are running one direction or the other. We are, as we speak emotionally, we are headed towards hope. Or we are headed towards hopelessness. And these boys got to the point where they were in such a state of hopelessness that if a rescuer didn't show up, they had no chance. Thank God, one did. Here was the plan they put together for these boys. They would have to sedate them completely because three hours of their journey would be completely underwater. And here's what they did. They sedated the boys. They strapped them to this bodyboard that could be used under the water or on the water. And one professional diver swam behind them, pushing them through pitch black water, whose temperatures would cause hypothermia, with this face mask wrapped around them that would breathe for them. Another carried the air tank. And for three hours... They swam to get the boys to the point in the cave where at least there was a little air between the water and the top of the cave. At that point, they would hand them off to another diver who put a raft on his back and he literally swam them the final quarter mile out of the cave to the doctor where they could revive them one by one until all 13 people had been rescued. And miraculously, they made it out alive and they were all fine. All 13 kind of toured the globe afterwards talking about what had happened in their life. But can you imagine the hopelessness of these boys? I mean, as the first day came and went, as the second day came and went, as the fifth day, like just go sit in your bedroom and lock the door for 10 days and don't move. You will go psycho just sitting on your bed watching Netflix. Can you imagine being in a dark cave they drank water that was dripping from the stalactites. That's how they made it. Can you imagine day seven, day eight, day nine? Day, can you imagine the hopelessness of we're going to die? We're going to die a slow, painful death. 
Their only hope, if they had any, was that someone cares enough to be looking for us. Surely someone is looking for us. Beyond that, maybe their hope was whoever is looking for us has a plan. And they have a plan to to get us out of here. And, And hopefully whoever is looking for us who has this plan, hopefully they can do everything that is needed because we have zero skill to get ourselves out of this situation. They had to be praying if they were praying people that God would send them a rescuer. Christmas is the same story. Christmas is a story about a group of people called humanity who every time life happened the way we didn't think it was going to happen, we ran further into the cave instead of closer to God until we found ourselves sitting on a cliff where we thought, you know what? We literally have no hope unless somebody comes and bails us out of this situation. Christmas is the story of that rescuer named Jesus. And you have to choose. Sitting at your perch of life today, you have to choose whether you will accept the rescue and follow him or whether every time something happens, you're going to keep running a little deeper into the cave, hoping that there's another way out for you somewhere. But it's your choice and only you can make it. You can't make it for your kids. You can't make it for your spouse. Your parents can't make it for you. Only you can make the choice to be rescued by Jesus. It's your spiritual battle. That's an interesting word, battle. It's the word Isaiah used. It's the picture that Isaiah gave us. Isaiah said the choice of whether or not to choose Jesus as your rescue or do life on your own is a spiritual battle that everyone has to fight. I want to show you how he said it because it's an interesting picture if you understand it the way that Isaiah wants you to. Look at verse 1 again. And I want to show you something in verse 1 that was interesting to me. If you like history or geography, maybe it'll be interesting to you as well. Isaiah said, Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who were in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun, the land of Naphtali, northwestern Israel. But in the future, he will honor Galilee of the nations by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan. You know, we see this little phrase, by the way of the sea, and it sounds kind of poetic to us. Like it sounds like old English poetry, like your rescuer will come riding over the horizon on the waves, like by the way of the sea, dilly dilly, right? Like it just sounds like kind of old English, like that time period, like, you know, here comes thou rescuer. That's, that's not what it means. Um, this phrase, the way of the sea, it's not poetic. It's a place like it's an actual historical geographical place. The way of the sea is someplace that everyone would have said, I know where that is. And I want to show you where that place is on a map of ancient Israel. This is a map of the ancient Middle East. And you can see here, Galilee and Galilee and Zebulun and Naphtali would have been northern Israel. There's only one road, even today, that goes east and west across Israel that doesn't have to pass a mountain. Israel has a mountain range running right through the middle of it. The only place it breaks is right here in the middle of the country at a place called the Via Maris. That was the ancient name for this. That name of uh, Via Maris means the way of the sea. The only way Egypt, when it was fighting the powers of the Middle East, could get to them was the way of the sea. The only way Assyria and Babylon could ever conquer anything in Africa was the way of the sea. They wouldn't go through the desert because they would lose their entire army. The way of the sea, every invading army that ever crisscrossed the Middle East came right across northern Israel, the way of the sea, the Via Mares. But Israel did not call things by their Latin name. Israel named things by geography. This was a massive valley. 
In Israel, they would name the valleys by the biggest city in the valley. The biggest city in this valley was Megiddo. The word valley in the Hebrew language is har. So the way of the sea in Latin is via mares. In Hebrew is har Megiddo. And in English, it's Armageddon. You say, wait a minute, I've heard about that. That's a movie with Bruce Willis, right? Yes, it is. It is a movie with Bruce Willis. Ben Affleck and Liv Tyler is a good movie, actually. But it's a movie about a biblical concept, this thought of the end of the world, the final battle of humanity. It's a place on planet Earth, but it's also a place in your story where you do battle. Isaiah said, Jesus is coming to your Armageddon. And you are going to have to do battle. Your greatest spiritual battle will be to choose Jesus as your rescuer or to try to do it on your own. But everyone has to choose for themselves if you will choose Jesus or if you will try to keep making it on your own. Jesus came at Christmas to bring hope to the hopeless. But Jesus also came at Christmas to bring healing to the hurting. Jesus came at Christmas to bring hope to the hopeless. If you're in here and you don't know Jesus, if you're in here and you don't feel like you're connected to God, if you're in here and you don't feel like God has forgiven your past and secured your future, in just a few moments, I'm going to give you the opportunity to open your heart if God is speaking to you to say, God, I need you. But there's a second group of people in here that are already Christians. There'll be hundreds of you in this room at Christmas this year. You're Christians. You've got a past with Jesus. But he's not much of a part of your life right now because something has hurt you. And the one you thought was supposed to protect you allowed you to be hurt and you've run the other direction. And you need to understand Christmas is for your healing. Jesus wants to heal your hurt. On September 27th of this year, a cute old couple in Sevierville, Tennessee named Tony and Dolores Amaral were sitting in their house when Tony fell and was injured. His wife, Dolores, managed to get him in the van, and they set off from Sevierville, Tennessee, to the University of Tennessee Hospital in Knoxville to get him help, and on the way there, they got lost. After realizing they were lost, they said, we probably better turn around and go home, but they forgot where that was, too. They had both very quickly had onset memory loss, and they drove and kept driving until the police in three different states were looking for them. Until on October 2nd, five days later, they pulled up to a police checkpoint in Atlanta, Georgia. And Tony rolled down the window and asked the police officer, can you tell me how to get to a hospital or tell me how to get home? Either one is fine. Just please tell me how to get to one. Can you tell me how to get to a hospital or can you tell me how to get home? Because we don't know how to do either. Their bank card transactions would tell us that on September 27th, he fell and they set out to go to Knoxville. But they missed. And when they got to Chattanooga and started seeing signs for Georgia, they realized they'd gone too far, so they turned around to head back to Knoxville, and they missed. And when they got to Kentucky, they realized they'd gotten too far, so they turned around again and figured they'd hit either Knoxville or Sevierville, but they missed. And they ended up in Atlanta, Georgia. Two people who knew that they were hurting. Two people who knew that they needed help. Two people who were on a journey to try to find that, but they just couldn't get to a hospital or home. Jesus at Christmas is both. 
He is both a spiritual hospital for your hurt and a spiritual home for your heart. He is both. And maybe this year you've spent the year driving, trying to figure out what will heal your hurt, but you've not come back to Jesus. And maybe this Christmas, Jesus is saying, I serve as both a hospital, I'll heal your hurt, and a home, I'll be a place to be at home for your heart if you'll come back. Isaiah wants you to know that Christmas is about Jesus bringing healing to hurting, but it's more than healing. Isaiah actually says Jesus wants to bring purpose to your hurting. And I want to show you an interesting verse. In verse 5 of this prophecy that I haven't read yet, Isaiah gives what sounds like a, it's kind of a cryptic verse unless you understand it. He's talking about the light coming to end the darkness. And he said, every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment that's rolled in blood is going to be destined for burning and it's going to be fuel for the fire. We look at this and think this is this is the remnants of war. Boots laying around, bloody clothes laying around. This is what you clean up from the war. But Isaiah says, no, it's actually, it's actually more than that. Isaiah said, the things in your life that you see right now that are painful, the remnants of the things in your life right now that are a battle. Here's what Isaiah says. When you get healing from those, those will actually be the things in your life that God uses the most to help you light a fire in other people. The remnants of your battle, the pain of today, when it's healed, is going to become your purpose of tomorrow because someone in your life is going to experience what you're experiencing today, but they're going to experience it in two years or five years or seven years. And when you've come through it, you're going to be able to speak hope into them. You will be fuel for their fire. Jesus said, I don't just want to heal your hurts. I want to use your hurts to help others who are hurting, but you have to come to healing for me first. God will use our hurts. God will use your hurts. Even the dark pain of 2018, God will use those to heal others. But first you have to allow him to heal you. And for those of you who experienced a pain that caused you to run deep away from Jesus, the message this Christmas would be, come back. Come back and let him heal you because whatever pain you experienced that caused you to run the other way, somebody else is experiencing And if you can find your way out of the cave, you can go back and help others on their same journey because driving around aimlessly isn't helping anybody. I saw this picture of Tony and Dolores several months ago when I read this article and I thought this really could be a picture of anyone in our church. This could be a picture of anyone in our community who knows they're hurting, who wants help, but who just doesn't know where to look. And maybe today's your police checkpoint. Maybe for some reason, because grandma, grandpa invited you. Maybe your mom and dad told you you could not come over to their house for Christmas unless you came to church first. That's the only reason you're here today. Admit it. There's some people in the room like that. We know it. Maybe that's the only reason you're here. But maybe the reason God had you here is because you've been driving around and you keep missing the hospital and you keep missing home and you just want to roll your window down and say, just tell me where to get help. I literally will go wherever you tell me. If you can just point me in the right direction. Christmas is to point you to Jesus. He knows the way home. He is the spiritual hospital that you need. Jesus came at Christmas to bring hope to those who are hopeless. Jesus came at Christmas to bring healing to those who are hurting. But you have to take his hand and let him lead you out of the cave. Would you pray with me this morning as we consider those things? Heavenly Father.